1: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW avoid. Were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Hi, I'm Rob Schneider.
3: And I'm Kevin David Thomas.
2: And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BroadwayCurtain and on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast.
3: And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends.
2: Our guest this week wrote one of my favorite books, Lucy in the Afternoon, which focuses on his time with Lucille Ball in the last days of her life. Plus, he wrote and starred in Zero Hour, a one-man show about the life and legacy of Zero Mostel.
3: He is also the writer of of the Ovation Award-winning musical The Big Voice, God or Merman, The Last Session, Cooking with Gus and others. Plus, he has also starred in such works as... The man who came to dinner, the Sunshine Boys, and Fiddler on the Roof. To tell us what it was like to learn comedy from David Burns, be inspired by Ethel Merman,
2: and to beat Lucy in backgammon, here is the epitome of character man, Jim Brochu
3: Jim!
0: I, I sound fascinating. You <laughs> are! <laughs> Boy, I'm impressed with myself, just <laughs> sitting here, listening to all this. <laughs>
3: And that really was just is. our intro,
0: too. <laughs> that
2: was just the intro. Are you and that coming then... out from behind the curtain, <laughs> yes. <know>. This is <laughs> us peeking really... out.
0: <laughs> just... yeah, I mean, I see what they look like, and I know why they're behind the curtain. <laughs> Maybe that's why you can only hear us. That's why we're... <laughs> that's right. we don't want to <laughs> scare know, you the audience. Faces that were made for radio,
2: <laughs> yeah. My favorite that's compliment. Right. <laughs> you know, yesterday somebody said, I look like Richard Deacon from the Dick Van Dyke show.
0: I can I can see That's a compliment,
2: though, right, Jim? Yeah, yeah. He was okay. a funny guy. Okay, good. Then I'll yeah, no, he was a good guy. Speaking of funny guys, you're yeah. hysterical. Oh. <laughs> that's <laughs> what I'm sitting on. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you grow
0: up in New York? I did. I grew up in Bay Ridge, not far from you. In Sheepshead Bay. In Sheepshead Bay. Yeah, the family used to go to Lundy's. Oh, on a Sunday and uh, eat uh, fish, which I hated. I, I've never eaten fish in Not my life. Not a fish guy? And, no, and I intend never to eat lips that I'm touch I'm right there fish. with you. Will never touch mine.
2: <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations <laughs> on sure, that we honor. We used to go
0: to Sheepshead Bay, and then I'd make everybody stop at Coney Island so I could have a Nathan's Hot Dog. Yes. Oh, yes.
2: How did you get it? How did I get I, like, it? I for it. I paid for it. No, I- <laughs>
0: What do you mean? How did I get it?
2: Jim would steal the hot dogs from Nathan's. I would not. I'm no. a very
0: reputable person.
2: Ketchup? Mustard? No, plain. Plain. Just you're a plain, plain guy. No.
0: Oh. I'm not a mustard or a ketchup wow. guy. Wow. All right. No, and their french fries, they were always they were always great. There used to be a Nathan's at the corner of 43rd and Broadway. Do you remember yes, that? Yes, I know exactly where it was. And it was about. a two-level. It's where the I think Nasdaq uh-huh. is there now. Yeah. And after 70 girls, Hans Conried and I that's where he used to go. Other stars went to Sardi's. Hans Conried wanted Nathan's hot dogs. So after 70 girls, we'd go down to Nathan's and down to the lower level where there were tables and uh, have our hot dogs.
2: He deserves it. He was a talented man. He did. Man. He was
0: an incredible man. He had such... A vocabulary
2: and he was so sweet and he was just dear and did you remember what the first Broadway musical was that you saw or the first oh, please. Broadway show oh, what oh here we go Bring it. what is well, it no
0: it was life-changing it what was, was it? absolutely life-changing up until the time I was 13 years old I was so inlo- involved in the Catholic Church and you know and looking back on it the church was theater
2: yeah, yes. There was a stage,
0: there mm-hmm. were costumes, there were music, and I was just entranced. And I knew it was my destiny to be the first Brooklyn-born pope. No, I, 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 really? other kids would uh, practice baseball. I would practice coming out onto the balcony of St. Peter's and blessing the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> and then one afternoon, my father came home, and he said... Uh, Ed Zimmerman, uh, his, his pal from uh, work, Ed Zimmerman was the CPA for my father's company. Dad worked on Wall Street mm-hmm. in the uh, municipal bond department. Mm-hmm. So he came home and he said, uh, Ed got us Ethel's house seats for Gypsy. And uh, I said, what's that? And he said, you know, Ethel Merman. I didn't know who. So I went out and I got a record of hers. I, in fact, it was Annie Get Your Gun. And oh. I thought, wow, this voice is... Something else. So June 20th, 1959, I was 12 years old, and we sat in Ethel Merman's house seats, Uh and I had the first religious experience I ever had in my life, something that had never happened in church. I I couldn't move after this was over, just could not move, and uh, all of a sudden, Ed Zimmerman appeared next to us, and uh, he said, Ethel's waiting. So he took us backstage. The stage door of the Broadway theater was on the other side. There was a Uh parking lot there at 52nd Street. So that's where the stage door was. And we went in, and Ethel was still on the stage. The curtain was down. They were moving the wagons from the show around, and she was talking to the stage manager. I remember that one ghost light was there. And she had gone out with my father a couple of times. My father was a widower, so uh, he... He took her dancing a couple of times. And so over she comes in that violet dress, the lavender dress she had on after Rose's turn. She said, hiya, Pop. Hiya, Pete. You must be Jimmy. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't speak. Huh. And she said, so what are you going to be when you grow up? And at that moment, the curtain of the Broadway theater rose. And there was the dark, empty theater with the people picking up programs and I said, I'm going to do this, Miss Merman. Oh. She said, good for you. And that was kind of the end of it. But oh my God. I knew at that moment that my life had changed. That
3: is unbelievable. That is incredible. Unbelievable. Your first Broadway musical was Gypsy. And yeah. You was, and you met her afterwards. Oh, yeah. In her house. I mean, all of that is so magical. Yeah.
0: Truly magical. Yeah, it really was. It really was. And... Um, you know, then I got to work with her years later. Oh, yeah? And yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't great. You know, I would see her through the years. Yeah. Uh, you know, you saw on my wall that picture of yeah. the two of us on my 30th birthday. Yeah. Uh, and that was in L.A. And so uh, that night we all went out for Chinese food. There was about six of us. And we went to, I think it was Trader Vic's under the Beverly Hilton Hotel. And the six of us sat at the table. And the first words out of Ethel's
2: mouth,
3: I don't share! <laughs> That's what I would expect. I mean, it really is. And she didn't. No. Nor should she.
2: Nor should she. Oh.
0: The, the, and the time I worked with her, uh, it was a, a PBS show called Musical Comedy Tonight that you probably know about. Sylvia yeah. Fine. Yes. Where they recreated four we, shows. We talked about it, right? Yeah. Now. yeah four yeah. eras. Yeah. And this was the first one. And I was um, Stan Harris. Uh, he was the director and I was his assistant. So uh, Ethel came in. Little Jimmy Broshu, what are you doing here? I said, well, we're going to be working. Great. Uh, She said, we'll go out after. I said, okay. They were recreating Anything Goes. And Peter Matz was in the pit, and uh, Stan Harris, the director, said, Okay, let's uh, let's do a run-through of this. She said, What's the song? And Peter said, It's anything goes, Ethel. I don't know that song. Don't give me songs I don't know. And she wasn't kidding. She was not kidding, and we all froze, and we knew something was wrong. So Stan said, Take her to the dressing room. Tell her we have a technical problem. So I did. And um, about 20 minutes later, he said, Go check on her, and knocked on the door. And, in fact, there's another picture on the wall that she signed that day of her at the microphone. But uh, she said, is, is it all cleared up? And I said, yeah. She said, well, let's go. And, and Stan said, are you ready for anything? Go. She said, let's do it. And what you see on, on the tape is the result of that.
2: That's incredible. Yeah. I would and never it, have And known. it was
0: a little... Uh we, we thought it was kind of a, uh, the beginning of the brain tumor mm. that uh, yeah. and it was affecting her. And at the end of the day, I said, uh, do you still want to go out? And she said, honey, I'm so tired. And I said, Ethel, do you remember the day I came backstage to see you in Gypsy? And she said, honey, I don't remember yesterday. Oh, uh, it was very sad, and that's the last time I saw her. Wow. Yeah. You know, and I, I have you seen her Vell commercial on YouTube? Yes.
2: Oh, it's not to be missed. Yes, we'll post that <laughs> for our <laughs> listeners. Oh, no. We'll post all this for our listeners. Yeah. Uh, besides Gypsy, do you remember any other big musicals that you – I mean, after, after that moment, did you start going back? Oh,
0: yes, yes. And you know, like, thank God my father also loved the theater. Great. He also yeah. loved the theater. And I remember the second show was Take Me Along. Oh. With Jackie Gleason? With Jackie Gleason and Walter Pigeon. Yeah. And Eileen Hurley, who I eventually worked with in All My Children many oh my. years later. Oh, my gosh. And the third show was um, Destry Rides Again <sighs>
2: at the Imperial. Oh. Andy Griffith. With Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith, yeah. yeah. Dolores, uh, Gray. Great, Dolores yeah. Gray. The fourth yeah. show was Do Re Mi. I love Do Re Mi.
0: I adore Do Re Mi. It's a great score. Julie Stein, Comden and Green. Yeah. And in fact, there's an organization called Musicals
2: Tonight. Yes, yes. Of And they're doing it this year. Yeah, they're I'm, doing it in March. I've already purchased my tickets. It's I'm, I, legitimate.
0: It's, it's legitimate. legitimate. <laughs> it's as pure as the driven snow. Have you played Hubie Please, Cram I yet? not finished singing. I'm like. sorry. No, don't stop, by all means. <laughs> no, I, I haven't. I had an opportunity about 20 years ago. I'm too old to play it now, but uh, it, it, I'd, I'd love to play one of the gangsters. That you would know, be that'd great. That'd be funny, because th- that was a Davy Burns show. He played Brains Berman. Yeah. T- tell
2: us a little bit about David Burns. Okay.
0: As I said, my father was in Wall Street, yeah. and he had show business clients, and Davy was one of them. So the first time I met Davy was um, after The Music Man.
2: Mm-hmm. And just for our listeners who don't know, because yeah. his name you know, isn't as... You know, it's not like Alfred Drake. He's a, a brilliant actor. Right. He was the Mayor, mayor. Shin yes. in The and Music Man. And he won
0: the Tony Award for Best Supporting Actor in a Musical in a role that didn't sing. Wait a minute. I did
2: not know that. Yeah. Wow. He won two
0: Tony Awards. He won one for playing the mayor. And then he won again a couple years later for Senex in Forum. So yes.
2: Cenex in Forum. He did Do Re Mi. Um, and then a horse in... Uh, Hello, Dolly, right? Horace. Horace, yeah, Vandegelder, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He was also nominated for Tony after he died for Lovely Ladies, Kind Gentlemen, which is on YouTube, by the way. You can see his performance on YouTube.
2: Can you really? Yeah. That I did not know. There's about
0: 45 minutes of the show uh, that um, a friend of mine snuck in his... uh, his, his camera, which was the size of Utah right? You know, I mean, in, in on, 1971, yeah. it was an enormous, camera. enormous thing. And he taped it from the back. And there's a couple of points I actually hear myself laughing because I saw just about every performance of Lovely and, Ladies.
2: And that was Tea House of August Moon? Is Teahouse that what
0: it was based on? Tea House of the August on? Moon. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a really good show. That opened in a really wrong time mm. It was the height of the Vietnam War wow, We didn't gonna... want to see Asians mm. We didn't want to see the Army We didn't want to see any of that And I, I, you know, I wish Some place like Musicals Tonight Would uh, do it. You know, it It deserves it because the score is just Wonderful is there an album? Did they ever record an album? My friend Robert Schur. Do you know Bob yeah. Schur, who uh, who does these studio recordings? Yes, yes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did one about, uh, God, it must be 20 years ago. And it's still in the can, and um, he hmm. said one of the problems is the um, the fellow who played Davy's part was Mickey Rooney. He said oh. it was just... Uh, Got it. Yeah. Got no, it. Shall we say no more? Yeah, yeah.
2: understood. How did uh you and David then connect?
0: Well, my father introduced me to him after the music man and then kind of forbid me to see him because Davy Burns was the foulest mouth human being. <laughs> oh. He's he was the most charming, the most dear, wonderful, sweet guy, but he had a mouth on him that was extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Worse than Merman?
0: Yeah oh, right? yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He made Merman look like a Girl Scout. Oh, my gosh. No, he just, and, and my father was not ready for, of course, I was like 10 at that time. Then when Davey got into Forum, we went to see him in Forum. And uh, we went upstairs to the dressing room, and uh, he, he said, oh, yeah. He said, I haven't seen you. He said, well, you know, you're always welcome. And I said, do you really mean that? He said, of course I do. Well, I was there every night, just about, just sitting in the dressing room. Wow. And, but it wasn't until um, Dolly, and then he got me this job uh, working for uh, the Gallup Brothers. And the Gallup Brothers owned all the concessions in all the Broadway theaters. Right. So this was my job in high school, that I got to stand at the back of these Broadway theaters, uh, Tovarish, and oh. Uh, oh. you know and Funny Girl, yeah. and Dolly, and Fiddler. And uh, I would watch these every night. And that was my education. Oh, uh, it's a good education. Can you that, just repeat those uh, shows yeah, one mean, more time? It's that a good your education season. That you, uh, Dolly, Fiddler, uh, Funny Girl, uh, Tovarish, with Lee. the great Vivian Lee, yeah. and Jean-Pierre <laughs> Ramon. That's all, can we say that together?
2: Jean-Pierre, Jean-Pierre Ramon. Ramon.
0: Thank you. Mm-hmm. We did good. We did very good. <laughs> I just long, long. That's all I did. Yeah, I don't think your arm was very good. <laughs> you will not
2: get your honorary beret and baguette <laughs> on the way out. Um, this is amazing. So, were you able to talk to the actors? Oh, yes,
0: well, of course. That's how I got to know Zero originally. <laughs> uh, yeah, Zero was, uh, he, you know, I, he, I came backstage one night. I used to just run back. Uh, I, I'd, I'd get a 50 cent seat up in the. Uh, Mezzanine. Can yeah. you imagine a fifty cent seat I, for? I, I'm so old. So I would run down, and Davey's dressing room was on the third floor, and there was an elevator at the Alvin. I never call it what it is today. the no. theater is it's
1: always, the theater always the Alvin. Always the Alvin to you. Always the
0: Alvin to me. One night I come backstage and smack ran into Zero Mustel. Now the first night I saw Forum, I had no idea who Zero Mustel was. You huh. know, I was a kid in high school. Yeah, and yeah. But I know yeah, who yeah. that was. The curtain went up, and this man—I felt myself going back in the seat, you know, like somebody had stepped on the accelerator. I mean, he was a force of nature. He was the funniest thing I'd ever seen on a stage, and so um, this night, he, where are you going? I, I, I said, Mister Mostel, I'm going to see Davy Burns. Well, you never come to see me, and I said, well, Can I? Yes, mandatory. So. I would go hang out with Zero for a few minutes. And the first night I went back to see Zero, there was a dancer in the show named David Evans, who was mm-hmm. one of the three Proteans, who went on to Dolly. David was mm-hmm. one of the great chorus guys of all time. And he was just reading him the riot act, screaming at David Evans for something he had done. And uh, and I was in military school, so I had my, my uniform <laughs> on <laughs> And I mean, he's going, don't you ever do that again? Or I'll we'll throw you in the orchestra, pit. now get out of here. And he turned to me. Oh, Sergeant Brochu, so nice to see you. <laughs> oh I mean, on a dime, he turned. And I was terrified of Zero. Oh I really was quite terrified yeah, of him for yeah. a while. The- but uh, <laughs> he was a pussycat. The, the second night of Fiddler on the Roof, I was going to college. So my best friend from college... And I flew to New York for the second performance of Fiddler on the Roof. Wow. My seat was A-105, first row center. Oh. I didn't know what to expect. I heard it was a great show. Well, that was another unforgettable yeah. religious experience. Yeah. So my friend, I said, I know Zero. Come on backstage. We'll, we'll go see him. So my friend and I went back and uh, hung out with Zero for a while. And then he took me upstairs. To introduce me to his friend Maria Canilova, and we hung out with her for a while, and then we went up to Times Square. I'll never forget this, and talked about the future. And he was studying piano composition, and he wanted to be Broadway's greatest composer and have three shows running at one time, and he did. It was Stephen Schwartz. Oh, so Stephen Schwartz was your buddy?
2: My buddy, still
0: is my buddy. My God, yeah. He he was here. Um, We had a party a couple months ago, and he was here.
2: You are so lucky, and they're just I know as that. lucky to know you.
0: Oh, well, that's very kind of you, but I know how blessed I am with We're, the people who have... Yeah come through my life oh
2: yeah where was school for you where were you at college <clears throat>
0: well at carnegie tech were you able to perform while at carnegie tech not the first year they they made us you know i remember steven wrote a little playlet for the black box theater that i was in and i remember him, it was a rather serious play and steven schwartz turned to me you know at the tender age of 17 yeah. and said you know you'd paint your ass blue for a laugh <laughs> and i said what shade <laughs>
2: What was the, if you if you can just pick one, what was the biggest lesson that David Burns taught you about acting or about being a human being, being an never artist? Never
0: look back. I'll never forget him saying me, to, to me that. Never look back. Yeah. And and he got me my first stock job. When he was doing The Price, uh, a fellow by the name of Joe Hayes mm-hmm. came backstage and he had four Zaverian brothers from Zaverian High School in Brooklyn. And Joe was the producer of the Surflight Summer Theater, yes. yeah, in yes. Beach Haven, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. He started in 1950. Yeah, so they did 12 musicals in 12 weeks. So Joe and, <laughs> and Davy—I think Joe was a chorus boy in, like, Out of This World or, oh. or, or you know, one of those shows. So they, they knew each other, and and uh, Davy said, uh, "Give Jim a job, you know, give, give him. Uh, he, he's very good." and and joe said oh the auditions are uh, next friday come to the jerry leroy studios you know 753 8th avenue between 45th and 46 what a toilet that was <laughs> no really it was it was just the most horrible place but right opposite because he used it a lot but right opposite where the audition room was was luigi's class
2: Oh, yeah. The great
0: Luigi who just left us yeah. uh, a couple of months ago at the ripe old age of 90, I think wow. he was. Oh, he was an amazing man. So we used to watch. So I went to the auditions, and, uh, and Joe said, uh, sing. And my big song was I'll Never Say No. So uh, I said, I'll never say thank you. Come back to the callbacks. And uh, I went to the callbacks, and he didn't even have me read. The very first show that we did, we did 12 musicals in 12 weeks. It But it was the greatest summer I ever had mm, in my life. Yeah. You know, I was working. I was in the theater. Yeah. I yeah. was rehearsing during the day and performing to full houses at night. The first show we did was The Music Man. Oh. And I was Mayor Shin. Oh, my gosh. Full circle. And yeah. opening night, Davy Burns was in the front row. I mean. I, I went to Pennsylvania. I actually, they gave me the day off to go get him, so I schlepped up to East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. It was like a four-hour drive each way, and he uh, he came and he was in the front row. And he said, uh, "And Joe was very religious, so he always had a priest bless the theater on the first performance." <laughs> <clears throat> And uh, the priest blesses the theater, and then Joe was so excited. He said, and the original mayor, the music man, David Burns, he's here. He's in the front row. David, would you say a few words? And oh. he got up, and he said, well, Joe, I'm very happy that tonight we're going to see the music man done the way it was originally intended to be performed in the nude. And the, I thought Joe was going to fall off the stage. <clears throat> it was a great performance. It was a great show. Oh I, I loved doing it, but to have him looking at me, Doing an imitation of him uh-huh, as the mayor. Totally. So at the end of the show, I said, "So you've never seen the Music Man? You know, you were in it, but you never saw it. What do you think?" He said, "It needs work."
3: <laughs> 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 well, what a great guy, though. I mean, came, oh, came I all the way to him. see you in that show. I mean, what a great relationship. I just
0: adored him. Oh, and that night, it was at the Forty Sixth Street Theater. Uh huh. That's another theater that will yep. always be yes. the Forty Sixth Street Theater totally. to me. And uh, so the brothers wanted to see the stage. Mm-hmm. And they had the orchestra pit c- uh, covered with black velour. And um, we, we came out, and we were by the stage door, and you could see the stage that way. And um, Joe Hayes said, can we bring the brothers onto the stage and show them the stage? And Davy said, I don't care. Go ahead. We're, we're going. And so we started the stage door, and all of a sudden we heard, ah! and one of the brothers had stepped onto oh. the Black Valour went right. To the floor <laughs> and Davy just turned to me and said, "Keep going." <laughs>
2: <laughs> what a mentor! What a, riot, what a mentor!
0: I mean, and and then after I would. He finished selling the orange drink. I'd go back and hang out in his dressing room. You know, we'd always go out. And it was surrealistic. The people who came into that dressing room, because Dolly was the biggest hit that ever was up until that time. And everybody wanted to see it. And one Wednesday matinee, I kid you not, I sat there. Watching Noel Coward eat Kentucky Fried Chicken Mm-mm. with Colonel Sanders, the real guy. He used to bring buckets of chicken for publicity. <laughs> nobody knew who he was at that time. Nobody had any idea. And in fact, you can go to an old Merv Griffin show that's on TV, and you will see Davy and Colonel Sanders together. And nobody knew who he was. Colonel Sanders was sitting in the audience in his white suit, and the, yeah, and, the th- and nobody had any idea who he was. This is
3: 1965. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is so amazing. random and amazing.
0: Now, when you were you auditioning? After I, uh, I only did one year at uh, Carnegie, Carnegie Tech. I got thrown out of every acting class I was in. Ooh. Oh, it, it just seems so stupid to me. Yeah, uh, you know, I I was learning by watching Zero. And watching class. Davey mm-hmm. yeah. and, and watching these, you know, Gilgood. He, he did a play called Tiny Alice that I went to yes. see mm-hmm. yeah. a couple of times just to watch him and, and to learn and try to absorb. Yeah. So I wasn't great in class. And after, at the end of a year, I knew it was not the right choice. And uh, my father said, well, come back, but do get a degree. So I finished my degree at St. Francis College right in, uh, in Oh, okay. Brooklyn, downtown in Brooklyn, yeah. Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. Brooklyn. perfect. Yeah. And as soon as I finished that, I started auditioning. And got my first off-Broadway show almost immediately called Unfair to Goliath down at the Cherry Lane Theater. And I remember the review in the New York Post, Jerry Talmer, who became a wonderful friend, who we also just lost last year at the age of 94, I think he was, great guy, and he hated the show. He said, "Unfair to Goli- this is unfair to audiences." <laughs> he <laughs> said, "But the terrible. cast is very fine indeed, mm-hmm. and the cast was there was four others in the cast, just five of us." He said, "But Jim Brochu is my choice if they ever do the Zero Mostel story." Isn't that funny? Oh my already, God. he, yeah. to call he already knew. That. That's so. Jerry predicted it years and years. Yeah. yeah, foreshadowed it years, years before that. When did yeah. you go out to California? I went out to then? California in 75 for the first time. W- was the hope to do film and television out there? No, I, I'm trying to... It, it was serendipitous that I went out there. Oh, I know what it was. That uh, I, I was visiting my friend Mary Jo Catlett, who was also in the, the original Dolly.
2: And, A brilliant actress. And, oh, wonderful. Brilliant actress.
0: Who replaced Charlotte Ray on
3: <laughs> different strokes. Yes, she did. You oh, know, yes. full
2: circle. Oh, so
0: I, I was just going to visit her for two weeks, and my agent from New York had moved out to California. So he said, do you want to audition while you're here? And I said, sure. Well, all of a sudden, I got a movie of the week oh. called Law and Order. N- not, <laughs> not what's on law. now. Yeah. It was uh, based on a book by Dorothy Unak. And uh, I, it was typecasting. I played a child molester. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Welcome to LA. And, <laughs> right. and got right. severely beaten up by Darren McGavin. Well, if you're going to get beat up by anybody,
0: <laughs> and then a couple of weeks later, I got a Kojak and got beaten up by Telly Savalas. Oh so, <laughs> what a I got resume! Beat up a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In fact, we just, that. That Kojak was just on, so I have it. Oh my. yeah, 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 yeah. That's funny. <laughs> Quite <laughs> That's fun. It's
2: really funny. So
0: I stayed. I was getting work. Sure, Why leave? And uh, and everybody I knew at that point seemed to be moving out to uh, California. Stan Freeman, who was my best friend, Davey, died in '71 on stage. At the yeah. Forest Theater during did, 70 Girls. Did you get to see him in it before Oh, I passed? did. I used, to, I used to drive him down to Philadelphia. And uh, I'd sit in the Forest Theater for rehearsals and watch them put the show together. And the director was a fellow named Paul Aaron, mm. the original director of it. And I remember sitting in the house, just empty, you know, and they had the, the work table up and how they were doing that stuff. And I was sitting with Nancy Andrews who was the original Belle Poitrine in Little Me, the great mm-hmm. Nancy yeah. Andrews. Yeah. So we were sitting there together, and Paul Aaron was directing this scene that involved Millie Natwick and Lillian Roth and Davy. Mm-hmm. And Paul Aaron said, <clears throat> David, uh, let me show you how to get a laugh here. And everybody just froze. And, and everybody looked at Davy, and he said, yeah, Paul, come on up. Show me how to get a laugh. <laughs> and you know, and, and Nancy Andrews turned to me and said, would anyone have the gall to tell the Pope how to say Mass? <laughs> the next so day true. Paul Allen was replaced. And uh, but yeah, so I, I used to see all the changes to Seventy Girls and just loved that show so yeah. much.
2: It's a gorgeous score. It's just a gorgeous, marvelous score. Yeah,
0: it really is. Yeah. Every tune is absolutely joyful.
2: And you got to direct a production of it, I correct? did. Yeah, I
0: did, yeah. In fact, I was supposed to be in Philadelphia the night he died, March 12th, mm. oh. 1971. And I was going with Mary Joe Catlett. Mm-hmm. She was still here in New York. And and that afternoon, she said, can we go to the matinee tomorrow? She said, I don't want to drive back late. I said, yeah. So I, I called Davey. He was at the Sylvania Hotel. Mm-hmm. And... uh I said, we're coming tomorrow. He said, all right. And I said, are you okay? He said, I'm just tired. That's all. And um, that was the last conversation I had with him. Oh. I got a call that night from Tommy Breslin, who had done Go Visit Your Grandmother with him. Yeah. And, uh, but I drove to Philadelphia the next day to see the show yeah. and uh, sat again with Nancy Andrews in the back of the Forest Theater. And Coley Worth was his standby and did the show beautifully, and at the end, Coley took his bow and then went back to his chorus position and left oh, the space oh, open. Wow. I still get, uh, yeah. you know. Oh, now you've made me cry, and I yeah. shall hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Remember those four-for-quarter booths? Yeah. Well, Davy did The Funniest Drunk, <laughs> and so one day we were walking up Broadway, and I pushed him into the booth and uh, I sat him on my lap, and I said, Do the Drunk, and uh, I'll show you that <laughs> oh, picture. Oh, that's
2: we should we should tell our listeners that Jim's apartment is <laughs> a musical theater fans mecca. Photos everywhere of Ethel Merman and Carol Burnett and Barbara Streisand, but very tastefully done. But very tastefully <laughs> done. <laughs> very elegant. In uh, fact, very elegant. it's it's wonderful because I'm I'm looking at at Jim and behind him there's a huge picture of Zero Mostel and it's it, it, Doing it fits rich man. perfectly. Yeah, that's right. Um, you did to get
0: say him, but, nothing of our. The view that I'm looking at. We have a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful view. It's a stunning view, isn't it? We're so lucky it's to, to have this.
2: gorgeous. Absolutely. And you said you can look into Michelle Lee's window? Is yeah, that right across that, the that's way? that's true. Yeah, she had a party well.
0: last Sunday, and uh, we were flicking lights. And I said, look, you can see my uh,
2: my balcony from here. I, I flick lights at the drug dealers on the corner, ah! and I say, me stop, please. Um,
0: I just call them. I just call them. Just come on out.
2: <laughs>
1: A hand clapper, a, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <gasps> uh, so when you were in L.A., you were involved
2: with the El Portal Theater? Is that correct? Correct? The El
1: Portal, Center El Portal, for the Arts, yeah. Which was
2: located, or is located, I should Lankersham say. Lancashire Boulevard. Lancashire Boulevard.
0: It was built in 1926 mm. as a, um, a movie house. Yeah. <clears throat> and they asked me to be the artistic director. Wow. And and I really hated it. Oh. I really hated it. Yeah, because oh. I was all of a sudden an administrator. Mm. I was a oh, producer. Oh, different, Yeah. And um, it was an acting company of 80 people, wow. you know, all thinking that they were DUSA and Olivier put together. And, uh, <laughs> and so it was dealing with 80 egos mm. and um, trying to pick stuff that, you know, and, and all of a sudden 9-11 happened. And nobody wanted to buy a subscription. They didn't know what was going to happen next Thursday. Mm. Oh, yeah. So that yeah. dried up, um, you know, and it just wasn't fun. So I, I said goodbye to that, and um, then we came back to New York to do Zero Hour. Great. And, um, you know, I was home, and we realized we didn't want to go back.
2: That's wonderful. Well, we're happy you're here. Yeah. I'm happy we're, I'm we're here, happy here too, here. Robert. Thank you. When you were in L.A., though, we were, we were talking about this before. We have to ask about a show that's on your website.
3: Uh-oh. Oedipus Schmedipus. As, as, you as
2: long as you love your mother. That's a full title. Full title. One more yeah. time. Oedipus Schmedipus. As, as long, long as, as you, you love, love your mother.
3: mother. Which had book, music, and lyrics by the great... Yeah, the great
0: Rue McClanahan was uh, the book, music, and the lyrics. And uh, it was was forum, except in Greece. And it was really a very clever score. um, And it was a funny book. She was great. I I adored Rue. I absolutely adored her. She I had was, no idea I know. she
3: wrote music. I mean, I, it, it's, That's incredible. She
0: wasn't the great greatest lyricist. Sure. If she wrote, uh, you know, she'd rhyme Oogly with Boogly.
3: <laughs> you know, I'd sure, say. sure. Sometimes she's not. I'd but. say, well, what does it mean? <laughs>
0: Doesn't matter. Just sing it. <laughs> so just sing it like a true writer just (laughs) sing it and we had more fun with that and then we became very very close yeah Mm. you know and we knew all the golden girls which was really kind of fun well we were having dinner one night at Jerry's Deli and uh, this waitress came along and said can I take you (gasps) Oh, my God, you're B. Arthur. Oh, you know, you're so tall. And, and I'm tall, too, because I want to be an actress. And they said, well, if B. Arthur is tall, and you can be an actress, and you can be an actress. And I'm tall, and you're tall. But, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm as good as you are, but you're tall. And, then, and finally, B. just looked at me and said, what the fuck is she talking about?
2: <laughs> that's exactly that's right. It's the right answer. What the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> How did the last session come well, about for you?
0: Well, Steve was dying. My partner was dying of AIDS, and um, we had done all the last things, and he was in the hospital. He was on uh, an IV, and then he won the lottery for the drug for Crixivan, and Crixivan uh, was only available to like 1,100 people in the country, and he won this lottery, so he became one of the test patients for Crixivan. And it changed everything. Within two weeks, he was putting on weight again. Oh, my gosh. And he was getting energy again. And so he went into uh, – he had been running a place called the National Academy of Songwriters in Los Angeles. And he put his own songwriting career on hold. He had always been a songwriter mm-hmm. to help other people establish their, um, wow. you know, their work. And, in fact, it's really funny. A, a, a guy came in who wanted to be a lyricist and a songwriter and and Steve and he became very good friends and he was very shy and he was very attracted to a girl in the office named Blythe so Steve played matchmaker and brought them together and they got married and then he said uh, we were having dinner one night and he said you know I really want to be a writer my Lucy book had just come out at that point he said I said what do you want to write about he said well, I think I could write a good thriller. And he was teaching at that point at Exeter. They, they moved and they were living up in New Hampshire. And uh, I said, well, the only thing you can do is just do it. You know, find the time. So he used to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go to the typewriter, finished his first book, which was called Digital Fortress. There's a copy of it over there. His second book was more successful. His third book was called Angels and Demons, yeah. and his fourth book was called The Da Vinci Code. Oh, my so, goodness. So Dan Brown was a very, very important part of our lives. Oh and, uh, and he and Blythe, and Blythe was an art historian. So it was like the perfect couple. She did all the research for the books, and then and Dan uh, that's incredible. would do it. Wow. Anyway, that's a side uh, sidebar. A so anyway, Steve wrote a song about... His um, experience in the hospital when he was dying was called Connected. Connected to an IV, connected to a bottle, connected to a TV. And then at the end of the song was that we're all connected to each other. Mm. Well, he came into the living room and started to play. Neither one of us could get through it. I just started weeping. Mm -hmm. But I saw that the creative process was being as helpful to his health and bringing him back to life as the drugs were. So I started to give him homework assignments. I said, write a song called Somebody's Friend about how everybody has a cure, but you never can meet them. And write a song about your own memorial service called Save Me a Seat. So I kept giving him these assignments. He wrote about five or six songs. And he said, well, what are you going to do? He said, if I die, these songs go nowhere. He said, "Where's, where's the play? Write a play. You're a playwright. I'm a songwriter. And I had no idea what to do. And then it was Thanksgiving, I think 1995, And we were at a friend's house who had a recording studio in the house. And Steve was playing, and a couple other people were doing backup. And all I can say was a flash of grace, whatever that was. I saw the whole play in my head. And I went back that night, and the first thing I did was design the set of a Mm. recording studio. And the play was written in a week. Wow. In a week. And we did a a benefit for ASCAP. They asked uh, if we would do the last session as a benefit at the Cinegrill at the Roosevelt Hotel. And the place came apart. And we knew we had something at that point. Then the fellow who had produced Oedipus Schmedipus, how all this comes together, (laughs) owned the Golden Theater in Burbank. He was all of 18 years old at that point. His name was Carl White. So um, Carl said, um, he said, I want to go to New York. I want to be a producer. I want to be the next Cameron McIntosh. And I said, then you have to close your most successful theater, and just do it and start at the bottom. And I said, if you do that, you can produce the last session. And he said, that's a deal. Gave up the theater, came to New York, started to work for the Weisslers. Oh. He produced the last session. Now he's a two-time Tony Award winner. He runs Martian Entertainment.
2: That's
3: amazing. That's yeah. I mean,
0: so he produced the last session. We opened at the 47th Street Theater, October of 1997. Yeah. And this man was in the audience who came up to us afterwards and he said, he said, you know, I don't always know uh, the work I do, which is so isolated uh, that it affects people like that. But my name is Dr. Bruce Dorsey and I synthesized Crixivan. So the man who saved his life was at the opening night. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It's quite an astonishing story.
2: What a gift! Yeah, so that's that the you last gave session. Each other.
0: Yeah, wow. Then we did the Big Voice. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask about well, next. The, the Laguna Playhouse mm-hmm. uh, saw it in New York, and they wanted to be the first regional producers of the last session, mm-hmm. which was an enormous hit for them. And here was a gay-themed show about AIDS, and, yeah. and th- it sold out every night. It, it really. Changed the, the theater's history as they got religious conservatives yeah. in and all of a sudden selling subscriptions so the uh, artistic director uh, Richard Stein, he and I became friends and he said, look we're doing three Monday nights, this was a couple years later, he said we're doing three special nights, Susan Egan is doing one Charles Nelson Riley is doing the other and you and, you and Steve come down and be the third night and I said to do what? He said, well, you know, sing a couple of new songs, talk about the last session, about your lives, and and just improvise it. And I can't improvise. I'm very bad at that. So I sat down and I wrote The Big Voice.
2: And what is The Big Voice about?
0: Well, The Big Voice is the story I told you at the beginning, when I knew I was destined to be the first Brooklyn-born pope, met Ethel Merman, and she changed my life. So it was the it was the dichotomy between religion and show business. Yeah. So the big voice was it God or was it Ethel Merman? And uh, and it's we a actually we all asked ourselves. We do I mean, really. <laughs> and then we opened the uh, Actors Temple Theater yes. uh, yeah. on Forty Seventh Street with that show. We ran six months, and then at that point, I had written. Zero Hour, and had commitments to do that. So actually, the, we were playing ourselves in the big voice, but two guys took over for us, playing us. Cool. <laughs> had
3: you al- always wanted to be a writer? I mean, how did that come to fruition for you? <laughs>
0: That's funny. Um, Kevin, I was doing a uh, Fiddler in Kansas City in 1980, mm-hmm. and I had always dabbled with writing. And it was, uh, 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 the producer was a wonderful guy named Richard Carruthers. And uh, he was producing Under the Yum Yum Tree. And I said, that's a terrible play. (laughs) He said, it took that man two years to write that play. I said, oh, for crying out loud, I can write you a bad play in a week. So I rented a typewriter in Kansas City. And I wrote Cooking with Gus, my my first play, which is 30 years later, is done to death. It's just one of the great shocks of my life that really? anybody would ever do this horrible play but it's it, it, there's a production running there's two productions running now <laughs> one in Canada and one in Wisconsin I they don't hear this so <laughs> they can hear this <laughs>
2: it's not in French, the Canadians can't
0: hear it okay. and, uh, yeah, and it was done in French it's like the Holy. odd couple in French Canada called Les Pieds de la Pla it's huge amazing. in Canada That's cool, no it really is, It's it's huge in Canada And uh, so I won the bet that I could write a bad play in one week. (laughs) And so that got it started. All right. It's been paying off for you like crazy ever since. (laughs) It really has been wonderful. And then I wrote a play called Lady of the House for Rue. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I wrote one for Kathleen Freeman, who we Mm -hmm. talked about, called The Lucky O'Leary's. And uh, she did it. And a fellow who was in the Lucky O'Leary's just passed away this week, George Gaines.
2: Love George Gaines. Oh,
0: he was wonderful. God, he was wonderful. That
2: voice. That great, booming voice. Most people remember him from uh, the Police Academy movies. Of course. And he was Punky Brewster's guardian on Punky Brewster. That's right. But... Great, great actor. Yeah. Vanya on 42nd Street, if anybody's seen that. He,
0: he gave me one of the great laughs in the Lucky O'Leary's uh, just because he misread something. He was playing the Monsignor, Dollar Bill Rafferty, who <laughs> was always collecting money for the new gymnasium or the new rectory or the new this and that. And, he, he said, and the line was, you know, I'm collecting money so we can break ground. And so he is in front of five hundred people. He said, "And we're collecting the money so I can break wind." Oh,
3: Groan. <laughs> 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 well, the lucky. Speak up, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> lucky O'Learys. Uh, didn't that I refuse to talk bring about? Bring your that. Uh, relationship, to uh, start your relationship with uh, Lucy. Absolutely, wow, that's not that true? Can you tell yeah. us about
0: that? Well, it, it's so funny. I I knew Kate Hepburn, and uh, I had written this play about the two sisters. Originally, I, I actually had Maureen Stapleton in mind and Kathleen Freeman do the two sisters. And uh, Kate said, I'd be horribly miscast and uh, you should get Lucille. And I said, Paul? She said, yes. I said, do you know how to get in touch with her? No. Hang up. That was the end of the conversation. <laughs> so it just so happened that I ran into this guy who, uh, who had just produced Stone Pillow. Yeah. Named Meryl Karpf, who, wonderful producer. And uh, uh, he said, yeah, she'd be right uh, for it. And uh, I said, can you put me in touch? He said, no, you've got to do that yourself. But if she asks me about you, I'll give you a good recommendation. I didn't know how to get in touch with her. Steve and I went down a Hollywood Boulevard. We got a Maps to the Stars homes. Oh, And there was Lucille Ball, 1000 North Roxbury Drive. Now, I had taken a class with Lucy in 1977 at the Sherwood Oaks Experimental College. Wow. She gave a six-week seminar on comedy and acting. And you had to go. She, She sat in a director's chair at the front. There was probably about 100 people in the class. And you had to come with questions. She really didn't teach, but she answered everything. And somebody gave me last year a tape of that first class, and she and I got into a fight. She and I got into a fight because she thought using uh, pejorative words on All in the Family was terrible. And I said, but I think it makes Archie look so stupid that you realize there's no power in these. Oh, no, oh, 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 oh. so, wow, So, wow. So anyway, I got her uh, address, and I wrote her a note. And I said, I've written this play. Uh, Meryl Karp and uh, Kate Hepburn think you'd be very right for it I took your comedy class in 1977 I'd love you to read this and I played backgammon and two days later the phone rang Jim this is Lucy (laughs) I read your play you made me laugh for the first time in two years Oh, my Because she had not well, gotten over the Life with Lucy series that she was fired
2: from. Where yeah. they treated her so poorly. Treated
0: her so badly. She told me the day that uh, they got the word and they had to leave. She said she was carrying out her makeup case and people turned their back. They, oh. didn't, they didn't want to look at her. And she said she cried for a year. Um, well, anyway, so she said, can you come over and talk about the... The, the play, and I said, yeah. Well, it turned out she was looking to do something with Audrey Meadows. As, and I thought, well, they'd be perfect together. Got over to the house. She opened the door herself. She was all in white, and I'm thinking, dear God, this is my idol. This mm-hmm. is the lady who taught me so much about uh, uh, comedy. Oh, and I think the fourth show I saw was Wildcat. A Wildcat. Oh, oh, at the okay. Alvin, at the yeah. Alvin Theater. So anyway, we went to the back house, And uh, uh, she said the the backgammon table was there. She said, well, sit down. We'll have a game. So I sat down. Crack. I broke her chair. Just I sit down, and I break the woman's chair. And I didn't know whether to just freeze and not say anything or to admit what I had done. So I I, I can't sit this way for an hour. I said, Miss Ball, oh, call me Lucy. I said, well, Lucy, I just broke your chair. She said, well, get another one. Oh, okay. La la la. And I went over. I got another chair. Put that down. Crack. Now I've broken two chairs in the space of two minutes. I said, "See the see the ship yeah, pulling out." No, no, I've been watching it. So um, I said, <laughs> I said, "Why don't I get that one? That one looks sturdy." She said, "The other two look sturdy too."
3: <laughs>
0: well, I, she tried to tell me a joke, which I also can't repeat on this I'll tell you guys afterwards but it, it was she screwed up the joke so badly and uh, what I said back to her just sent her into hysterics I mean she literally fell off the chair and I realized at that point I could make Lucille Ball laugh yeah. and I was relentless and she actually was holding herself on the floor and I said don't you die I don't want to be in the Enquirer next week that I killed Lucille Ball <laughs> which sent her into hysterics even more
3: oh wow
0: So at the end of the day, uh, we had talked about everything but the play. Mm -hmm. And and she said, can you come back tomorrow? And I said, yeah, but tomorrow's my birthday. So if I come back, you have to give me a present. She said, maybe I'll give you a chair. (laughs) (laughs) So I got back the next day and we were playing and I won the first day. That's right. I beat her by a dollar, which let her know that I was a good backgammon player and would be a good opponent for her, uh, which she liked, you know, and she had no other activities to do. So she really looked forward to that time. So uh, I got back the next day and we were playing, and she excused herself for a second, went into the corner, and she came back with a hot cross bun with a candle in it, singing, Happy Birthday to you. And I started to cry. And and she said, what are you crying for? And I said, well, did Lucille Ball ever sing happy birthday to you? (laughs) (laughs) And she gave me a little green foil wrapped box. And I opened it up and there was a watch inside with her little face Mm -hmm. with the note, Jim, I will always have time for you. Love, Lucy. And I spent pretty much every day with her until that last day.
2: It's a wonderful book and uh, we'll post a link. Uh, to it on Amazon for all of our listeners, uh, but please read it. It's a, it's a fascinating. Oh, thank you, th- yeah. thank you. Jeez. It's a, it's a
0: labor of love, you know. I I, had, I just loved her. She changed my life in so many ways, and um, to be able to be with her for that last year was uh, a remarkable time of my life. Yeah. And I, I it was just special uh, for her
3: too. It seems. You well, know? I
0: I think so because all of her friends had died. Yeah, but you, you see,
3: know? in the
2: bu- in the book, she starts to blossom again. I mean, from, from the beginning of the book when she seems a little guarded, and then as it goes on, mm-hmm. it's very clear that you brought a lot of joy into her life.
0: It was really, you know, and we'd go over. Gary Morton, um, he'd go to Palm Springs, and he would uh, play golf, and, and so she would invite us over for dinner, and she'd have Paula Stewart, and she'd have Thelma, and, and this one night we were in the formal dining room, and Gary wasn't there, so she said, sit at the other end of the table, and I thought, I'm sitting where Desi used to sit. This was their mm-hmm. home. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden the houseman came in. Yes, madam. And, and she said, well, what do you want? He said, what do you want? And she said, well, I don't want anything. He said, oh, yes, madam. And so he went out again. And we're in the middle of a conversation. Two minutes later, and he comes through the door. Yes, madam. What do you want? No, madam, what do you want? I don't want anything. <laughs> yes, madam. And he'd go back and a few minutes later. He Yes, madam. What do you want? (laughs) She said, no, what do you want? He said, how, what do you... He said, Madam, you keep hitting the button on the floor. There was a, uh, there was a little oh button my God on God. the floor, <laughs> the, that oh you'd my call, God. the call button that you'd press, <gasps> and it would go <laughs> off in the kitchen. So she didn't know that. And she served stuffed cabbage that night. I'll Ooh, never forget that. Wow. Stuffed Ooh. cabbage. Ooh. Ooh. And we were oh all kind of playing. And she said, do you like stuffed cabbage? And I said, not really. She said, well, I hate it. What the hell are we eating stuffed cabbage for? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know, Ooh. you've had so many great mentors. Is there anybody that you mentor now? Have you thought about teaching at any? No, point? I don't like people. Great. Well, we'll leave now. <laughs> so, Jim, this was a pleasure.
0: There, you know, I'm so lucky. I feel like I'm a link in a in a chain, and um, I, I can't say that I'm his mentor, but I'm certainly older, and we work together. A fellow named Josh Grissetti. Oh, yeah, yes, course, Josh who, Grissetti, who is just very talented, beyond talented, and. Um, uh, you know, there's there's uh, a couple of young people I met doing Sound of Music mm-hmm. that I'm in touch with who I've encouraged to, you know, follow their dreams and and be that and help. And, um, yeah, so I, I feel that I'm a link in that chain, and hopefully I've passed on, you know, what Davey had uh, given to me. Oh,
3: yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Green Willow at the Equity Library oh, Theater? My God. And maybe a little bit about the Equity Library Theater. Some of our younger audience members might not mm, be familiar with that but they stood yeah, for. Yeah, the, the Equity Library
0: Theater was a very, very, very special place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was in existence for maybe about 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the show I did was about 1971 or 72, and it was Frank Lesser's Green Willow. Gr-
3: great, great score. Great, great score. Yeah.
0: The music of
3: Home mm-hmm.
0: and uh, Never yeah. Will I Marry. Yeah. Uh, and, and the original was Cecil Calloway and. Uh, I forget who played. Oh, Bill Chapman. My darling friend Bill Chapman yeah. played the two ministers. Oh, yes. And um, it, it was – they did shows that other people didn't do. It was at a place called the Masters Theater. It was 103rd and uh, Riverside Drive. Oh. I think it's still there, but it's it's not a theater anymore. And you would get uh, – uh, you didn't get paid. But everybody, every agent, every casting director. So you did it as a showcase. And you did it with just the most extraordinary actors. You know, there were were stars who used to do uh, ELT. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had a wonderful director named uh, Bobby Nigro. And uh, Bobby directed Search for Tomorrow, but he, he was a wonderful theater director and gone too soon. His, his only Broadway credit was Is There Life After High School? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and he directed P.S. Your Cat Is Dead mm-hmm. off-Broadway, and uh, you know, but he's, he's left us now. But uh, it was a great experience, and we just had more fun doing it. And I think I got an agent out of it. I'm not yeah. sure it was so long ago.
2: I wish there was more like that
3: now too. for our students. I really do. I know. Oh we have, yeah. You know, we mentioned musicals tonight. Is they 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 sort of dust off old old shows. Right. That we don't get to see very often. Yeah. Uh, one
1: of my
2: favorite things on YouTube that I watch when I'm in like a bad mood or a sad mood, <laughs> I, I just have to tell you, is your dinner with Charles Nelson Riley. Oh, Robert makes me so happy. Have you seen this? No. It is one of the look- funniest things.
0: Charles was a very dear friend
2: he was as crazy as they came
0: just as crazy as he was totally insane and um, he he wouldn't go to the theater he refused to go to the theater except he he would bring everybody to the last session when we were doing it at the Tiffany he came at least once a week he had to sit by the, the door because in 1944 he went to the circus in Hartford, Connecticut and it was the great fire that killed 44 people and he was in the midst of that. So he still had terrors about being part of an audience. So he would have – this was the night you're talking about was the Tony Awards. I think it was the year 2000, 2001. And uh, we went up. And he was uh, – there was a girl there named Anastasia Barzee, yes, wonderful actress, yeah. and a um, couple of other people. And Charles was just possessed that night just possessed he and whenever he was entertaining he wore a nightshirt and his uh, and his uh, slippers yeah. <laughs> you know and uh, and he made turkey it was always a turkey dinner and um, it's yeah it's called our dinner with charles and it's i edited it down to about 3 minutes but he's he's quite funny on it that night
2: it's hysterical we're going to post it um to our facebook oh, page good. so our our listeners can see it as well because it yeah. makes me so happy. Hey, you know, it makes me happy <laughs> too, Robert. When I
0: look at that, he brings back very, very fond memories. Mm. You know, he he was just crazy but wonderful, and uh, and I produced his uh,
2: "Save It for the Stage." Yeah, I was just going to say, there's an award <clears throat> behind you that you Is received. There? Yeah. The Valley Theater League Artistic Director Achievement for Save It for the Stage.
0: Oh, see, I didn't even know. Oh, yeah. You're (laughs)
2: pointing out awards.
0: I've won so many awards, (laughs) I've just forgotten. There is.
2: And deservedly (laughs) so. And (laughs) Save It for the Stage is available on... You know, I don't know.
0: It is available. I mean, he and I got into some problems with it because it was three hours and 20 minutes. You know, and I kept saying, you got to cut it, but it's all too good. I said, no, it's not all too good. And uh, so one night in his dressing room, his producer and his director were just on top of him to cut this show. And finally he just said, Jimmy, take me home. As soon as the curtain came down, and this is not talking out of school, he had a flask of bourbon. And he would start downing the bourbon as soon as the curtain came down. And we got into my car. and He was in the passenger seat. Didn't say a word. We go up Coldwater Canyon, where he lived. We got to the top of Mulholland Drive, and all of a sudden he screamed, "They're the Ramses, and I'm John Benet, and they're killing me!" <laughs> I, almost, really? I almost, I almost, drove off Mulholland Drive. <laughs>
3: And I'm Chan And I'm Chan
0: Pinay. <laughs> One of the funniest things he ever said to me: they, There's a thing called the Pageant of the Arts in uh, Laguna Beach, where they people, you know, do stills and they open it up, <laughs> oh. and, and they're the paintings. Yes, yeah, yeah. All- I know what you're talking. <laughs> so I said I called him and I said look I got I got an extra ticket for the pageant of the arts he said he said what I should drive two hours to see some dental assistant be the Mona Lisa
3: (laughs) join us next week where we interview our favorite casting director of Sondheim shows Joanna Merlin